is happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. A fight card in the UFC will happen this Saturday. I felt a little bit lost last weekend without a fight card, but now we kind of rev things up to the point that uh, for the foreseeable future, Will Brewer, we are going to be highly entertained inside the UFC. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm always good when it comes to talking about MMA. Uh, we've got some epic, epic fight announcements to go over, man. And I'm ready for it, man. Uh, this year, and I, I wanted to start with this. I wanted to get your take on it. So we've got 284, 25, 26, 27. We've kind of, we know what the, what the fights that are being announced. Can you remember a better four-fight stretch, four-main event stretch than what we're getting? Like in a row. Like, not just, like, four fights throughout the year. I'm talking about boom, 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 boom. Four in a row. Can you remember? Man, that's a really good question. Off the top of my head, my answer would be no. But, yeah, I, that's a good question because that's, a, that's a, a great point. In terms of blockbuster main event fights, yeah, four in a row that are as big as you can possibly make. So we'll get into the into those four uh, main events and everything. We know what they are, but you know, my memory is pretty good when it comes to this stuff. So Much I, than mine, I thought, yeah. yeah. So I, I thought back, and there was there was four, there was one stretch that popped into my mind right away. So we go all the way back to 2013. UFC 165, 166, 167, and 168. So 165 was John Jones, Alexander Gustafson, the first fight. Oh, okay. UFC 166 was Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, three. Okay. 167 was George St. Pierre, Johnny Hendricks. Hendricks. Yeah. 168 was Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman, two. Wow. So I'm, I, 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 that is the only four fight stretch that I could think of that even compares to this. Yeah. But I think more so it's like the after effects of those four fights. They had a lot of stakes going into them. Sure. But the fights were also good. Those are legacy type building fights that all four of those, these, the, the four fights that we're about to talk about, they have the stakes, like former champions, legends, everything's in this. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, part of it is because we know what happened in those fights. Also, that kind of helps you, like, make that determination. Like, nobody had Johnny Hendricks, like, doing what he did against GSP, right? And then, you know, I think we all still believe that he got robbed that night. But nobody thought Johnny Hendricks was going to beat GSP, and then in hindsight, he does. So, maybe if you were looking back, like, before those four cards took place, you probably wouldn't put it in the same stratosphere. But, I don't know. That's It's a good point. I mean, I, I don't remember necessarily, like, I wasn't following it closely at that point in time. Obviously, I was aware of the John Jones Gustafson fight, but, like, was there the, this, like, was there the hype around Gustafson really, like, that, that ended up being a great fight, but did people expect that that was going to be as great a fight as it was? I don't remember that or not. No. So this yeah. was the point when John Jones had just disposed of all right. these legends. He had just beat Shogun, Machida, Rashad Evans, all that. Everybody thought that John Jones was basically indestructible. So right. people looked at Alexander Gustafson as just another name on the on the hit list. 
and then we got we saw the fight that we saw. And it's kind of the same thing with GSP Johnny Hendricks. We knew that Johnny Hendricks had heavy hands, but we just thought, you know, he kind of just has a puncher's chance. And it actually turned out to be a very, very close, entertaining fight. Of course, the, the fights with the stakes, though, were the, was the Kane Jr. trilogy fight. And then, the of course, Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman, the rematch after Weidman shocked the world. Yeah. I mean, what we're getting with these with these four fights, I mean, number one versus number two, pound for pound. Uh, the GOAT potentially returning. Uh, one of the welterweight kings uh, going back for the title. And then one of the middleweight kings going back for the title against the guy he just can't beat. I mean, yeah. There's a lot more that goes into those four fights, but just those, just, just to start with that, it's just, it's epic. Yeah, I would say looking at, at the hype around a four-fight stretch, this would probably take the cake. In hindsight, if Absolutely. you reflect back on it, then that, that, one, that stretch is going to be tough to beat, no matter what happens in these fights, right? In terms of looking back on how great the stretch was, but in terms of looking ahead, the unknown of what the fights are going to look like and just what they look like on paper or on the, on the fight poster... Yeah, this is, I think, as good as it gets. Here's the craziest part of this entire equation that you bring up, and I'm glad you brought this up because it, it was finally announced, which we're going to talk about. Alex Pineda, Israel Adesanya, UFC 287 in April. We just found out uh, two weeks ago that in March we're getting John Jones, like you said, arguably the goat of the sport, making his return after a three-year absence, but also making his heavyweight de debut. We've got the trilogy fight between Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman that's going to take place in London, following the greatest knockout in UFC history, in my mind. Oh, yeah, and by the way, probably the most overlooked main event of that entire sequence is pound-for-pound pound number one versus pound-for-pound pound number two. When you when you lay it all out like that, I mean, there's no better four-fight stretch. I, I mean, what the, the four fights that I listed is the closest thing, and it comes yeah. pretty, pretty close. But just those four fights on paper, it blows anything <laughs> out of the water. Yeah. Number one versus number two, pound for pound, and and that's probably the least um, desired fight of the of the four. I mean, it's there's a lot of questions, of course, among the hardcore fans, but everyone is thinking about John Jones, Surreal Gone. Everyone's thinking about what's going to happen in the trilogy with Leon and Usman. Everyone's thinking about what's going to happen with Pajeda, Adesanya. Who's going to make the adjustments? But this fight, number one, pound for pound versus number two, pound for pound. There's so many questions. I mean, of course, the easy thought is the bigger guy is gonna is gonna win, but but Volk is so talented. Uh, how is he gonna look with adding that that ten pounds? He's not gonna do what Max did. Max just went in there and didn't cut weight. Volk is going in there to he actually put on muscle and is doing it the correct way, putting on weight. Uh, is he still gonna be as fast? Is Islam gonna have problems taking him down? Uh, if Islam isn't able to get Volk down, how is the stand-up going to look? Like, yeah. there's just so many questions in a fight like that. I mean, and, and, and for that to be the most, the least desired fight of the four, it's crazy. Dude, if you lined up just 100 random UFC fans and you laid out those four fights and said, I want you to rank these four fights in order of the fight you want to see the most to the fight you want to see the least. Not saying that anybody doesn't want to see any of those fights, but if you were to rank them in order... I'm willing to bet that 80% plus are going to put Volk and Islam pound for pound number one and pound for pound number two in the fourth spot. Absolutely. Because John Jones, for, for everything that he's accomplished and how the boneheaded mistakes and everything, he's still one of the biggest stars in the UFC. Israel Adesanya is one of the biggest stars in the UFC. Kamaru Usman 
he may not be the star that Izzy and John Jones is, but he gained a lot of fans in his fights with with Kobe Covington and his fights with Jorge Masvidal. That he he basically got the rub off of those fights, so people know who that guy is. I, I, I'm not really sure the same can be said about Vulcan Islam. I, I don't think they've got the exposure yeah. to the casual fans that the rest of these guys have had. Yeah. Uh, I, now, uh, let me just let me just say this. Leon Edwards, I seen this. I seen this on on YouTube. His uh, post fight interview uh, after he beat Usman, over I think it was over five million views or something crazy like that. It's in the millions. Yeah, like people know who Leon is. Yeah. So like, and and that and that's great because for a long time Leon was in this was in this space where nobody really knew who he was. So it's great that Leon's getting this recognition now. But Volk and Islam are kind of in this spot where they're great champions. They're the best of the best, number one, number two, pound for pound, but they just don't have the exposure that the rest of these people have. I had a couple of buddies who casually watched the UFC ask me about Leon Edwards before the last Leon Kamaru Usman fight. Like, how good is this guy? Like, does he have a chance? Like, that sort of thing. And, like, again, they're not they're not diehards watching every week like we are, but casual fans that tune in for, you know, every month or two, depending on what the pay-per-view card looks like, and you know, other than being aware of his name, like, weren't really, like, too in tune with, like, how good is this guy? Yeah, you know, people, like, I'll give you an example for how some of these casual fans are. When when Leon was fighting Nate Diaz, people were like, oh, man, I hope Nate Diaz wipes the floor with this guy. With this guy. Nate Diaz is going to win, this, this, and that. I'm just like, if you're thinking that, let me tell you, Leon Edwards is as skilled as they come. Nate Diaz, I'm not going to say can't hold a candle to this guy, but there's a there's a gap in the skill level between these two guys. You just don't know who Leon Edwards is right now. And that's all it is. Yeah. And Leon Edwards put the world on notice with that head kick. And now everyone, now I'm not gonna say everyone, but there's a lot of people who, who know who Leon Edwards is. And now we're going to get to see him fight in front of his home, his home turf. And he's going to get a lot of cheers and that's going to make the casual fans like, Oh, like, you know, who's this guy, you know? So it, it's great that Leon's getting this exposure, but it it's crazy to me that of like, Leon is literally probably number three pound for pound. Kamar Usman is number four pound for pound probably, and they're the <laughs> they're the third fight probably in the dock. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I would probably put the same percentage on Leon Kamar Usman being number three on that list if you pulled a exactly. hundred random UFC fans. And and it's not to take anything away from Izzy and Pajeda because that's a fantastic matchup. But just Izzy has built himself into such a star. I mean, Conor McGregor is the biggest star in the UFC, obviously. But Israel Adesanya has built himself into not only uh, someone that you pay money to see, but he's also got the skill for it. Not saying Conor doesn't, but yeah. Izzy is going to deliver uh, nine times out of ten. I mean, of course, he's falling on, you know, people calling him boring and not taking any chances, but, like, he's got the personality. He's got the skill. He's going to sell the fight. There's There's literally no box that Izzy doesn't check. If you give him the right opponent, he's going to deliver a, fi- a phenomenal fight, just like he did with with Pajeda the, in the first fight. Yeah. So Izzy's a massive superstar, and he finally—it seems like he's finally met his match with Pajeda. That's a fight that people are going to want to see. And then, of course, John Jones has been a big star in the sport for a decade, so of course people are going to know who that is. But it's just crazy that we're at this point where the number one, number two, number three, number four best fighters in the world are getting overshadowed, kind of, by these by John Jones and by Israel Adesanya. All right, let's uh, let's jump into some of these these uh, these fights that have been announced over the last week uh, before we make our picks for Saturday night's fight card. 
Saturday night's, or I should say Sunday morning's fight card, right? I think the main card begins at, at midnight. So technically the main card starts on Sunday morning. Um, it was just announced Max Holloway and Arnold Allen, April 15th. I believe this is going to be a fight night main event. I love this fight. And for as much as I was pro Arnold Allen in the whole like featherweight interim title situation, there were three names being thrown out, Josh Emmett, Yair Rodriguez, Arnold Allen, like the one guy that I thought should have been in it. And maybe it should have been a conversation for who the other guy was. I thought Arnold Allen was definitely number one on that list. He ends up on the outside looking in coming up next weekend UFC 284, it's going to be in the co-main event, Yair Rodriguez and Josh uh, Emmett fighting for the right to go face Volk next. Um, I, I kind of hated how this all worked out for Arnold Allen. Now that Max Holloway is the fight and it's happening in April, Will, maybe he ended up in the best position possible. I mean, not only are you going to make uh, the big money to fight Max Holloway, but the shine you're going to get for that level of competition and also what it means for your career going forward, depending on what that matchup looks like. I mean, I would argue, like, Yair losing a close fight to Max probably did more for Yair than, like, if he were to just beat Josh Emmett in a normal setting, right? Or beat Calvin Cater in a normal setting. Like, what Arnold Allen can benefit from in this type of matchup is is huge, much less if he wins and where that ultimately projects him. I mean, the guy's on a, what, 12-fight win streak in the featherweight division. Uh, I love this for Arnold Allen. Glad to see Max getting back in the octagon, and this should be a really fun fight. Yeah, man, look, Arnold Allen pretty much cashed out because he's not getting the interim title shot, but he's getting the number two guy. Um, Emmett and uh, Yair are fighting for the interim title. That's great, number one contender, but Arnold Allen is literally fighting the number two guy in the in the whole division. He didn't get the he didn't get the interim title shot, but this is basically the better thing in my mind. Yeah. Um. I I, I would actually question if Yair and Emmett what I mean Yair's already fought Max, but I'm sure Emmett would jump at the chance to fight to face Max Holloway. Of course, you got the interim title on the line, so that basically guarantees you a title shot. But Max Holloway, um, the legacy, uh, the rub that you get, the fan uh, notoriety that you'll that you'll get from fighting Max Holloway, it's almost better than getting the interim title. So I'm I'm so glad Arnold Allen is getting this this fight. He deserves it. I was I was with you. I thought that uh, an interim title fight should feature Arnold Allen, but uh, you know, of course, I think it was an injury that kind of prevented things for him. But now he's getting Max Holloway. This is a, a, a phenomenal fight. I think that Arnold Allen is good enough to compete for the title. But I haven't seen him over five rounds. I need to see it. Uh, he went like a round and a half with Calvin Cater. Uh, we didn't get to see much. Right. Uh, Max Max Holloway is tough to finish. So we'll we'll probably see a, fi a five round war, and we'll see how uh, Allen's uh, cardio holds up, um, what he looks like in the championship rounds. So we'll we'll get a lot of questions. Pretty much all of the questions that we need answered in terms of Allen becoming a champion answered. Um, when he fights Max Holloway. All right, so before we move to the UFC 287 announcements that were just made over the last several days, uh, I do want to hit the Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson um, rumors that are out there about these two guys being the next matchup, being the, the two coaches for the next season of The Ultimate Fighter, which, by the way, is the ultimate reality television series in terms of UFC and who you can bring in. I mean, just the... The characters that are Connor and Tony would be phenomenal, much less the fight. But in terms of this actually happening and if this were to go down, um, I think for the UFC and what's best for 
the brand that is Conor McGregor, this probably is the fight that makes more sense than any other fight you could make. Trying to get him back on the right track against a, a fight that is a winnable fight, but also a guy that has a massive name on the other side. Yeah, I mean, Conor McGregor's at a point in his career where I'm not going to say he needs the ultimate fighter, but it doesn't. It definitely doesn't hurt him to to have the ultimate fighter at his at his, uh, at his disposal at this point. Uh, I think he needs um, to be in front of the fans, and I think in terms of the matchup, if it is a Tony Ferguson, it's a it's a big name uh, that people will will know, and it's a winnable fight for him. I think it checks all the boxes. I think all of this, the ultimate fighter. With the with the possibly being Tony Ferguson, this is basically get Conor McGregor back on track, uh, going all in on getting Conor McGregor back on track. Um, I think that he's fallen on some hard times in and out of the octagon, and uh, I think he needs to find the love for the for the game again. I think it's it's all it's there, but I think it needs to be brought out of him. I think the Ultimate Fighter will probably help that. I think just him being around the fight game and uh, uh, going back to his roots, I guess like. We, we saw how hungry Connor was when he was uh, coaching Ultimate Fighter the first time. And then it led to him becoming a world champion. So I think all of it is just getting Connor McGregor back on track. If it's Tony Ferguson, I mean, it's a big name, but we've seen kind of where Tony Ferguson's fallen at this point. Um, I think it's just, it checks all the boxes for Connor. Yeah. I, it, it, the build up to that fight would be incredible. The series, uh, in terms of the show, would be incredible. Like, I love it. And again, it's it, whether you like him, you hate him, whether you think he's any good or he's over the hill and washed up. Conor McGregor is still the biggest name in the sport. And if you are the UFC, it serves you well to have him with positive momentum in any way. Right. So whether it's it's lining him up against Michael Chandler or Tony Ferguson, like that's a no brainer to me. Tony Ferguson is still a massive name, but a much more winnable fight. Uh, although I think the Chandler fight is winnable as well. But uh, yeah, for the UFC, in terms of just doing good business, uh, this one makes all the sense in the world. Um, you know, we had thrown out the idea of maybe the Masvidal fight, which I still believe at some point is going to happen because that will be one of the biggest fights in UFC history when it does. Um, but I guess you can probably make that one a little bit further down the road than having to make it right now. Um, either way, um, I would love to see Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson. The rumors will seem to be leading before Tony Ferguson spoke up. Uh, the rumors seem to be leaning Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler, as the next matchup, which also is a fun fight and makes a lot of sense. Um, apparently, Armand Sarukian called out Michael Chandler. Uh, Michael Chandler has since responded, basically saying no, that he's never even seen Armand Sarukian fight. And he says, I'm trying to get Connor. Uh, so that's why that's relevant. But uh, I'll just say this. I like Michael Chandler. I think he's a really fun fighter. He wants no part of Armand Sarukian, if we're just being honest, right? Like, no, he wants no part of that. Um and good for him to, to continue to chase the Connor fight because that is a massive payday and a massive massive stage. Yeah, so if I'm Michael Chandler, he's he's built himself up in a way to where the money fights make a lot of sense. He's a fun fighter. Um, he's been in fight of the year type fights his throughout his entire career. So a fight with Connor, I mean, even though we know he's got a wrestling base, he's going out there to bang. And that's the fight that that would favor Connor because Connor is the, the longer fighter, the taller, all, all that good stuff. Uh, if Michael Chandler doesn't wrestle and just fights Connor McGregor standing up, that's a easy advantage for Connor McGregor. Um, in terms of Michael Chandler and, the, and these other guys in the lightweight division, there's no way in hell. And I and I agree with Michael Chandler for this. If I'm Michael Chandler and I'm that close to a Connor McGregor payday, 
I am not even entertaining the idea of the Armand Sarukians of the world, the Mateus Gamrats of the world. While they're great fighters, they're not going to come with the amount with the amount of money that comes with the Conor McGregor fight. Nowhere close. Not even a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. Like we're, yeah. It's it's a no brainer in terms of Michael Chandler. You just you have to understand uh, where Michael Chandler is at this point. Um, he, I don't think he's got many of these left in terms of being this uh, close to a big payday like this. I think he's built himself up to a McGregor payday. And I think after that, we'll see what happens. But I think he's so close to it that he's got to cash in on it. I mean, I would probably pick Sarukian if that fight were to be made. And I'll say this, like if you're Chandler, what, what, that does you no good. Number one, if you win, you don't get any shine from it, right? You're beating a guy that's lower in the rankings that doesn't have as big a name. If you lose... It's a big deal, but it's also a big deal because it's not like losing to Gaethje right. or losing to Poirier, A, from the name standpoint, but B, from the entertainment value. If you lose to Armand Sarukian, you're doing it on the mat in a fight that's probably not going to be the most visually pleasing. So you're not even really gaining the the positive, well, he was in a great fight. Because like that, that's the thing about Chandler. Like Even though he lost to Gaethje, that was, a, that was the fight of the year. Even though he lost mm-hmm. to Poirier, like that fight was inc- that, that first round was as good as it gets. Right. So like he lost those fights, but he still like wins a lot of fans in the process because of the type of fight it was. You don't get any of that, I think, in a Sarukian fight, right? None. There's literally nothing to gain from a Sarukian fight or a Gamera fight. Yeah. Um, like you said, there's fight of the year, there's round of the year, there's knockout of the year with all these other guys, and they have names, so it doesn't really hurt him to lose those fights. Uh if he loses to Sarukian or Gamera, there's no more Conor McGregor. There's no more Nate Diaz talks. It, it all ends uh, there with Sarukin. So there's literally no gain uh, for Michael Chandler. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Um, 287. We had a bunch of fight announcements over the last several days. The main event, UFC 287 in April, is going to be Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya for the middleweight championship. It is the rematch or the rematch of the rematch of the rematch if we want to go back to the kickboxing days. Um, what did we call the fourth fight between Moreno and and uh, Figgy, like it's it not was, a trilogy, uh, but what qu- is it? Quadrilogy. The, the quad quadrilogy, yeah. Quadrilogy. Okay, so in a sense, the quadrilogy uh, of Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira. This one is really interesting to me. Not not because this fight was made. Like we knew this was going to happen. It was just a matter of the timeline. Israel Adesanya says he's going to take some time off. He never really gave a timeline, but I, I sensed from just the way that he said it, the tone, all that. Like I got the impression that it was going to be an extended amount of time off. Like not, not what a normal like fight between fights type situation would be, which is what this kind of is now. Um, I kind of felt like maybe it's nine months, maybe it's a year something more in that range. So now we get this match announced. It's going to happen in April. If this was Israel Adesanya's timeline the whole time, then good for him. My conspiracy theory mind on this specific situation and it happening when it did on the heels of the Jamal Hill went over Glover Teixeira for those that don't remember, after that fight, Alex Pereira's inside the octagon. There's a lot of images uh, making the rounds on social media of those two guys standing next to each other. Um, Glover is now going to solo mentor Pereira. No more fighting. He retires. So all of a sudden, there's a lot of steam pointing toward Jamal Hill and Alex Pereira at light heavyweight. And then as soon as all of that hype starts to build around what that fight potentially is, Israel Adesanya is ready to come back, and now we have the middleweight championship fight in April. Again, I don't know that I don't know what his timeline was, but 
part of me kind of thinks that uh, he came back sooner because it was influenced by maybe the ability of Alex Pineda to not only already in some ways dent his legacy at middleweight, but do what Izzy didn't do, which is going champ champ. Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely got some something to do with uh, with how quick Izzy turned this around. I was under the impression that Izzy would fight probably International Fight Week. Uh, this is a quick turnaround, um, especially with him saying that he wanted to take some time off. From November to April, that's not time off in, in my mind. That's that's actually so, a quick turnaround for a lot of fighters. <laughs> absolutely, that is, especially when you when you just lose a title and everything. Uh, you don't normally see it turned around that quick. Um, so, yeah, I think that definitely that uh, Pajeda was starting to have other options. Um, there was Jamal Hill, obviously. Um, and then with Yuri not being ready to fight, that kind of just left the door open with, with Yuri not being ready to fight. And with Izzy saying he wanted to take time off, that just left the door open for, for that to be a possibility. And then I know that Alex Pajeda was saying that he was ready to fight, whether it was going to be Jamal Hill or not. Uh, I think if Izzy wasn't ready, I think Pajeda was going to call on the Robert Whitaker fight. And I think that, um, it, or Pajeda was starting to have options outside of Izzy. Like, Izzy was no longer becoming the biggest fight out there. And I think Izzy was like, oh, nah, like, you, you got to fight me before you can do anything else. So I think the pressure kind of kicked in a little bit more for Izzy to want to take, to want to do this now. But I think it benefits Izzy to do this kind of right away um, because Pajeda is only going to get better. Right. Glover is, right. is uh, focusing in on him and his skills. I think it only benefits Izzy to just go ahead, do this fight now. If you can halt the um, the progression of Pajeda, great. But I, I don't think we're talking much about what becomes of Izzy if he were to lose this fight. That's four losses to Pajeda. It would be kind of tough to sell a, a, a trilogy in the, uh, in the UFC when Pajeda's already up 2-0. Yeah. So, uh, but I think Izzy uh, is locked in on this fight. Uh I think his health is good enough to where he feels like he can take this fight. Um, of course, he, he never said what was the reasoning why he wanted to take time off, but I think that he's good enough to where he can take this fight and feel confident enough in his ability to win. So yeah. we'll see what happens. If he were to lose, I think he just either becomes what Robert Whitaker has been for the last several years, which is just the next best guy, but so far above everybody that's not the champion that you're just kind of in your own like stratosphere to a degree. Or... He moves up to 205 full-time because let's not forget, like, I don't know why people do this, but it's it's like because Jan Blahovich beat him, it you know, there, there kind of became this narrative like Izzy didn't belong at 205. That was a razor-thin fight. And here's the deal. I don't know how many people were convinced when they were announcing the scores which guy was going to win, right? Like, that was razor-thin. Obviously, we saw where Jan Blahovich's size ultimately got him over the top, but, like, I don't think it's just an automatic... Israel Adesanya gets bodied by everybody at 205 if he were to move up. Israel Adesanya was very, very, very close to being the light heavyweight champion. So, you know, if you don't really have anywhere to go at middleweight, I could see a world where he would just move up to 205 full-time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, on the feet, he definitely seemed like, obviously, the more skilled guy when, in terms of uh, Bohovich. And it would be fascinating to see Izzy if he tried to, like, grow into a 205-pound body. He didn't do that at first. He just didn't cut weight right. for the Blahovich fight. He weighed in at, like, 200 pounds. And 
uh, on fight day, Blahovich blew up to 230, and Izzy is still 200 pounds. So, and you saw the the size difference uh, when they got to the mat. Izzy didn't really have anything for him there, but I think if Izzy what did put on a little bit of weight and was still able to be as fast uh, with his striking as he as he is at middleweight, he would be a problem. Yeah. He was already a problem for Blahovich at 200 pounds. Imagine what he would be at like 215 uh, if he's still able to maintain the the speed that he has. Um, I think Izzy's been kickboxing so long that he wouldn't lose too much if he just put on uh, 10 pounds of muscle. But, uh, of course, they would know better than me, but that's just my opinion. Uh, but, yeah, Izzy at 205 would be fascinating for sure. Was that 2020 or 2021? That was 2021, in early 2021. Think about this for a minute. Like, the sport is significantly different, even in just the way that, that we judge cards today versus when that fight happened. Like, Jan Blahovich just kind of controlled Izzy, right? It's not, it's not like he did anything with the takedowns. He just kind of controlled him. The, the major emphasis now on damage versus just control might have changed. Like, if that same fight happened today, it might be scored differently. Yeah, there there is such a di- there is a huge difference on on damage, uh, other than control, and I will say Izzy was landing, Iz- Izzy was landing more strikes. Yeah, and you could quite you could have a debate about who was landing uh, the harder strikes, but Izzy was definitely uh, landing more strikes. So in terms of the damage, maybe you maybe you can make a, a huge case that Izzy did win that fight. Uh, if it weren't for those takedowns and the control in the in the fifth then does does Blahovich beat Izzy yeah. when it, when it comes to these uh, cars today? So that's a very interesting point. We might have to do at some point on the pod before we record, go back and watch that and see if we would score differently given the the damage perspective now versus uh, the control situation. But anyway, just a, just an interesting point in terms of matchmaking and how all of that might shake out. Co-main event for 287 is Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal. I, this was announced. I love the fight. I think it's great for both sides. I think it's a terrible matchup for Masvidal. That said, he's game, and this is going to be a fun matchup. Two big names, two really talented guys. Um, you know, we saw Burns obviously trade massive blows with Hamzat, so we know what he's got there. Um, if it goes to the ground, you feel like that's probably game over for Masvidal, but he does have good takedown defense. Anyway, Gilbert Burns is an early minus 400 favorite, so that just tells you where the odds are uh, in terms of who should win this. My thought process when this was announced is, Obviously, Burns wins this, gets a lot of momentum to make a title push. Masvidal wins this, and Leon is still your champion after the Usman trilogy. It's the natural jump to finally make that fight, which everybody wants to see at some point, Leon and Masvidal, but for a title, it would be even better. If Leon loses and Masvidal wins, you still get to make the matchup, right? And then if they both lose, you still get to make the matchup. Like, this just perfectly sets up for the opportunity outside of Masvidal losing and Leon winning to make Leon and Masvidal as potentially your next welterweight fight, whether that's for a title or not. Yeah, that, that's a fight that has to happen before both guys in their career. Uh, the, the story is just too big for that yeah. fight not to happen. Uh, Masvidal is such a huge star at this point. He's been kind of big league in Leon for, for, for so long. And now Leon's the champion. So Jorge finally wants to fight him. Um, and now Leon's big league in Jorge. It's just, like, at some point, these guys just have to fight. Uh, in terms of the Burns and Masvidal fight, I, I'm under the impression that Burns should be a, a big favorite because of the of the wrestling and the jujitsu that he has. Uh, beating Neil Magny the way he did, uh, having that momentum, it's hard to imagine that Masvidal would be able to do anything different. 
But Masvidal is very is fast. He's a crafty veteran, and if he can keep this fight standing and Burns out of all of the top contenders at welterweight, he's a guy that would entertain um, a, a stand-up fight with Masvidal. So that would play into Masvidal's yeah. favor. And who knows? Maybe Masvidal can land uh, a big strike, knock out Gilbert Burns, and then we're back on the same train that we were when Masvidal knocked out Ben Askren. Right. So, yeah, if Masvidal wins this fight, he's such a big star that it kind of doesn't even matter that he's lost three in a row. Uh, he can jump right back into a title fight because he's that big of a star. He's going to sell pay-per-views. Uh, but if he loses and Leon loses, I think that's just a perfect segue yep. for both those guys to have a big fight that would put both those guys back into title contention. Um, so yeah, it makes a ton of sense. It, like you said, it, unless Leon wins and Masvidal loses, that just completely defeats the purpose. But if they both win, that's the fight to make. If they both lose, that's the fight to make. So we're and if and, Masvidal and if wins and Leon loses, right. yeah, yeah, that, that that's the fight to make. I'm sure Masvidal would want a, a title shot, but like it's hard to sell Masvidal Usman three. He would have to have another victory. So go ahead and fight uh, Leon, and then we'll talk about the title after that. So it makes a ton of sense for sure. Yeah. Before we make picks for Saturday nights uh, or Sunday morning's main card, uh, I do want to throw out three of the other matchups that were made for 287 because that main event and that co-main event obviously are huge fights with big names. Not as big names here as I'm about to throw out, but great, great matchmaking. Kevin Holland versus Santiago Ponzinibbio, Kelvin Gastelum and Chris Curtis, and then Rob Font and Adrian Yanez. All three of those fights on UFC 287 in April. Those are three bangers. I mean, the, uh, with on paper, those are three bangers. I'm pretty sure Rob Fott, Adrian Yanez is going to be a banger. I, I don't think there's no way that that fight won't be. Uh, two guys I love to stand up and love to scrap. Um, Kevin Holland and Ponzinibbio, two other guys love to scrap. We just saw Ponzinibbio uh, knock out Alex Morono. We just saw Kevin Holland and what he did with, with Wonderboy. Uh, two stylistically pleasing uh, fighters going at it. Uh, we'll see what happens. And then Gaslam and Chris Curtis. That's the only one where that's a little bit of a question because Gastelum, while he likes likes a good scrap, he needs a win so bad that I wouldn't be surprised if he would try to revert to his wrestling because he is a good wrestler. But Chris Curtis has shown such good takedown defense that this might just have to be a stand-up war. Yeah. Um, either way, uh, for those, for that to be a, the card, uh, Yanez, fine, banger. Gastelum, Curtis, banger. Ponzinibbio, Holland, banger. Burns, Masvidal, has all of the potential to be a banger for sure. And then we already saw what Pajeda and Izzy is going to be. So that is a very phenomenal main card for sure. Yeah. Well done, UFC. All right, let's make picks for Saturday night slash Sunday morning's main card, UFC Fight Night, Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak, your main event. The card starts in the welterweight division. We have Yusaku Kinoshita and Adam Fugit, or Fugit, I'm not sure which one it is. Um, Kinoshita is the minus three thirty four favorite, plus two fifty for the underdog. I mean, you, you you said that first name so phenomenally that I think you just should have ran with whatever you said on the first one with the second name. I mean, it, it just seemed like it, it it all flowed. You shouldn't even questioned it. Thank you. I would have been like, oh yeah, for sure. Um, but it it seems like uh, Kinoshita uh, is a, is a big time prospect. Um, my money's going to wait a minute. Am I even supposed to be picking first? You are. You are because you got the main oh. event win uh, with Jamal Hill over Glover Teixeira, which was, which was right. a five-point right. swing. 
That's right. That's right. So I'm 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 up like are we tied or am I up one? You're up one. I'm up one. Okay. Uh, so yeah, um, my pick's gonna go with Kinoshita. Kinoshita for me as well. Like you said, big time prospect making his UFC debut. Um, this is uh, possibly a statement type of uh, performance from him. All right, in the featherweight division, it is Duho Choi and Kyle Nelson. Choi is the minus one eighty eight favorite, plus one sixty two for Kyle Nelson. Man, it's good to see the Korean Superboy back in action, man. I mean, the UFC Hall of Famer, right? <laughs> yes. For his fight with Cub Swanson, but um, he was—he's always been a fun fighter. Uh, but he's fallen on some hard times. It's—it's it's been hard for him to consistently be in the octagon because of his military stuff, and uh, he—I think he's been knocked out in his last two. Um, so it's—he's always in bangers, though. So you got to give him credit on that front. Um, but I think with this one, he's kind of taking a step down in competition. It's been a minute for him since he's been in the octagon, but I, I like him to win this fight. I think he's skilled enough to, to to win this fight, but I do expect this to be exciting. I do expect this to be a risky fight for him, but I think he's just a, the more well-rounded and more experienced guy. So I'm going to go with Duho Choi over Kyle Nelson. He hasn't fought since 2019, which is crazy to me. Um, it's been that long, but like I, this guy's getting, I think, the type of matchup that should allow him to have success if, you know, the the four-year now layoff uh, isn't a big factor uh, overall. So um, I think the odds probably, to me, represent more like the question of, you know, what does he look like with this long layoff versus just what I would expect otherwise. So same pick for me as well. All right, fight number three on this main card takes us to the heavyweight division, Marcin Tabura and Blagoy Ivanov. Tabura is the favorite at minus 160, plus 130 for Ivanov. So um, this is a really good heavyweight tilt. Um, I think that uh, Blagoy is so tough to get out to get out of there. I mean, I've seen him fight against Junior Dos Santos back when Junior was, uh, was, was still Junior, and Junior couldn't get him out of there. Uh, Derek Lewis couldn't get him out of there. I mean, there's so many guys who you expect to knock this guy out, but he's he's always took a majority of these guys to a decision. Uh, I think he's good, but I think that uh, Tybura will be able to control him and win on points. I don't expect this fight to be a finish. Uh, I think that uh, Ivanov is going to prove how tough he is, like he always does, but I think he's going to get controlled in a lot of areas of this fight. Uh, and for this to be only be a three-rounder, I think that works into uh, Tybura's favor. So my pick's going to go with uh, Marcin Tybura. What if I told you that Tibera is older than Ivanov? Would you have guessed that? That is crazy. No, I wouldn't, because uh, Blagoy looks like he's 56. So. Yes. <laughs> and it feels like has been around for a long, long time. Um, but yeah, I when I was looking at these two fighters, that, that kind of stood out to me. I was like, what? I would have never guessed that Tibera was the older fighter here. And he looks significantly long, younger, uh, to your point. Tibera for me, I think just at different points of their career, um, I think we've seen Tabura fight at a high level more recently, and I think uh, just overall more well-rounded. But I'm with you. I think this is uh, probably a decision win. All right, co-main event takes us to the light heavyweight division. It is Da Un Jung and Devin Clark. Da Un Jung is your favorite at minus 250, plus 200 for Devin Clark. Man, I would love to, to pick Devin Clark, but I've just seen too many um, inconsistent moments from him. Like, we've seen... Uh, times where he knocks out a guy like William Knight in a fight he was an underdog in. Uh, 
nobody would have expected him to knock out William Knight. William Knight is a tank of an individual, and uh, Devin Clark is more of a wrestler. So that was a big-time win for him. But you also see performances uh, like Iwan Kutalaba, where he completely looks awful in that fight. Um, I think there's just too many moments of, inco- of inconsistency, and I think uh, Daun Jung uh, is as solid as it gets at like heavyweight. So, um, yeah, man, uh, give me... I, and I know Dalton Jung just lost to Dustin Jacoby, but that's nothing to uh, really sniff at because Jacoby is really, really good. And in a, in a stand-up fight, anything could happen. So uh, give me Dalton Jung over Devin Clark. Was it the Kudalaba fight where Clark's teeth got destroyed? Yeah. As a matter of fact, that was, oh, yeah. Just brutal. And right in front of his dad, too. Oh, like, just dad brutal, like yelling, man. Yelling at him, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's awful to see. Yeah, that was like a... It, that that one just hurt me to watch, and like you said, in front of his dad, it just oh the whole thing just hurt me. Uh, yeah, I I like Daun Jung. I I mean I know he lost to Jacoby. Um, Jacoby finished him, but I think he's an exciting fighter if he can prevent Devin Clark from taking him down, which I think he will be able to. All right, heavyweight division gives us Sergey Spivak and Derek Lewis. Sergey Spivak is actually the minus two sixty five favorite, plus one ninety for the Black Beast. Man, like you like you said earlier about uh, Ivanov and uh, <clears throat> Tybura, I kind of just feel like they're at different points in their careers. Uh, I think Spivak is really starting to put it together. Um, you can tell he's very, very locked in. Uh, and this is a, a, a proper step up in terms of competition, but I, I think he's fight he's fighting a similar type of fighter. Like, he, he beat Greg Hardy, who's a heavy hitter. He beat Augusto Sakai, who's a heavy hitter. He's kind of beat them in, in similar ways, right, uh, with his – you know, take down, ground and pound. Whenever he gets on top, he's proven to be uh, very, very heavy on top, and he's been able to get finishes. Um, and he's really starting. He's he's come a long way with his hands as well. Um, I think that last performance with Sakai really uh, told me a lot about him, and that he's really um, starting to put everything together. I think Derek Lewis, um, of course, the heaviest hitter in in UFC history, uh, but it's just hard to tell. Um, with him at this point because you have fights where he where he shows up against uh Curtis Blades and then you have those other fights against you know the likes of uh Sergey Pavlovich which Pavlovich is uh, is awesome uh, obviously we've seen what he's done to tie to Avasa but you know I think that Derek Lewis um it's always those fights where you like him like I liked him against Tua Avasa he didn't do he didn't do well I liked him against uh, Pavlovich, he didn't do well. Uh, Cyril Gan, I didn't like him in that fight, but I mean, there was really no way yeah. that uh, he was going to win that one. Like Derek Lewis always has a puncher's chance, but I just think um, uh, unless he does, unless he lands that big right hand, um, then what what happens after that? So uh, it's hard to tell for me uh, with Derek Lewis. So um, and I know he's he's in shape and he's been running and he he looks phenomenal right now, but I just think that Spivak uh, has shown a level of consistency that Derek Lewis just hasn't. So uh, give me Sergey Spivak. And I, I kind of think that Spivak will end up finishing him. Okay. I, I feel like I would have a different take on this fight if it were three rounds versus five rounds. Not because I feel like I would pick the finish to be different. Like, Derek Lewis is not going to win a decision over Spivak. Like, he's either going to knock him out or he's going to lose a decision or finish like it that's just not the kind of fighter Derek Lewis is um if he hits you you're going out right like he's not just going to win on points <laughs> if he's connecting and gaining points that also means that you are going bye-bye 
Um, but I think in terms of how aware he is about his gas tank and how much energy he's going to put out there in a five rounder versus a three rounder to me is where there's a different perspective. I feel like in these five, like I'm, I'm at the point now where I would only prefer the Derek Lewis fight in three round fights on pay-per-view cards, right? Like he's such a big name. You have to put him in a main event if it's not a pay-per-view card, but put him in, you know, put him on a pay-per-view card in a three rounder. And I think we consistently get a Derek Lewis that maybe is, is um, a little bit more uh, ready to throw as opposed to having to somewhat just, pick and choose his shots as carefully as I think we've had to see him do it recently. Um, I feel like this is every Derek Lewis fight. You're either banking on him landing the one big shot or the other guy being more well-rounded. Um, it's so hard. Like when it's, it's Derek Lewis against another guy, that's like the one, one hitter quitter. I'm always going to go Derek Lewis uh, in a, in a matchup with a guy that I think is at least this good and this well-rounded. Um, I'm going to go Spivak. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to see Derek Lewis. There's nothing like Derek Lewis with some positive momentum coming off a, a knockout, right? Because we all have the conversation like he could win the championship because it only takes one. But uh, it's going to be Spivak for me. Yeah, man. It's just hard to uh, it's just hard to really see where Derek Lewis is at this point. Uh, maybe he surprises us because I remember we both picked Curtis Blades to beat him. And uh, he actually baited uh, Curtis Blades into taking that big uppercut. Uh, and like you said, it is a five rounder. So I do feel like Derek Lewis is more aware of his gas tank in five round fights. So, you know, maybe he forces Spivak into a mistake. That, that's something that definitely could happen. Yeah. And maybe Spivak is going to be so eager to get at Derek Lewis that he makes a mistake and just leaves himself open for Derek Lewis to hit him. But I think that um, just Derek Lewis has been so inconsistent that we just don't really know what Derek Lewis we're going to see. So and it just seems like Spivak is just hitting on all cylinders right now. But yeah, you're right. Like I, I hope that Derek Lewis does win because it's always fun. Uh, his post fight speeches are always yeah. fun. It, it's just bad. It's just great for the sport when Derek Lewis is winning. So you want to see him get back, but it just it seems like it's a tall task for him. Yeah, no doubt. All right, man. Should be a fun card. Uh, maybe take a nap Saturday afternoon before uh, this thing gets underway because it's going to be a late finish, approximately 3 a.m. finish for this fight card. But uh, can't wait and glad the UFC is back after a week off. Yeah, and uh, also Bellator is going to be on before the UFC, I believe. So um, I think we, we could possibly have a night full of MMA. So By the way, I'm I marked it, that Fedor fight on my calendar wrong because I mentioned it last week coming up last weekend, and I was looking <laughs> for it on Saturday, and I was like, where is this fight? I can't find it on my TV guide anywhere. And so I, I ended up looking on the Internet, and I realized like I had marked it down as the wrong, like on the wrong Saturday of when it was when it was happening and then I was like ah shit well I guess I'm not watching that fight tonight I have to yeah, wait another week. It, it would make sense it would make sense for Bellator to to have that fight on a week where the UFC's not doing anything yeah uh but at least they're doing it at a time the UFC's not on so right. uh I'll be we'll be able to jump in from big time Bellator uh, free TV to uh, the uh, UFC fight night. So it's going to be a big night for the heavyweight division in both Bellator and the UFC. No doubt. All right, buddy. We will uh, we will be tuned in on Saturday, and we are talking pound for pound number one versus pound for pound number two this time one week from now. Will Brewer, have a great week. We will catch up over the weekend, my friend. Yes, sir. Have a good one, man.